0: Well, if you can stand a little more, come follow me. Here it is, Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that they were to sail for Italy, they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, this Julius, like a lot of other NCOs in the, uh, the uh, scriptures, is going to come off pretty well in the story. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, non-commissioned officers. Um, well, the next day we put in at Sidon, this is verse 3, and Julius, this guy, treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to be cared for. So this is a real stringent, uh, you know, prisoner transfer, isn't it? Uh, we, well, we're passing through town. You can go visit your friends. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, then, and then they go to Cyprus, uh, which I've been to and it's very hot. We sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. This is what I love about this section. It's a lot of this nautical, nautical stuff. And I don't know, you can bear with me or you can just fast forward past it, I guess. But what's a lee? Um, You know, besides your mom's maiden name. You remember in Hawaii, well, you probably don't because you're all little. But in Hawaii, uh, there's the windward side and the leeward side. Right? There's even a Leeward Community College in Pearl City that was just uh, down the hill from us in Alemano. The Leeward is the sheltered side, the side away from the wind. In Hawaii, the, the trade winds pass over the islands from the northeast, uh, and, and so what they're doing is they're sailing on the protected side, the harbor or the, uh, the sheltered side of Cyprus, so that the winds aren't as bad. They go to Cilicia and they change ships And it's an Alexandrian ship, which is kind of important. (coughs) Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, So then they sail under the lee of Crete, right? So they're just trying to stay out of the wind here. (laughs) Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous, this is verse 9, because even the fast had already gone by, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be with danger and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. He's going to change his story later after a visit uh, from a heavenly messenger. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, which you know kind of stands the reason. I mean, Paul is uh, here's this um, you know religious authority <laughs> turned uh, turned cult member, <laughs> and probably most people thought uh, <laughs> giving giving advice on sailing their vessel, right? Okay, in Paul's defense, he's obviously an experienced traveler. Um, but but for what it's worth, he has been shipwrecked on more than one occasion. This is from Second Corinthians 11.25. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I shepher- suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. And that's not this voyage, because we have a different account of it. So, he, he knows all about being shipwrecked anyway, even if he doesn't necessarily know about sailing a ship. And by the way, wh- what does it mean that the fast had already passed. Well, this is talking about the public fast prescribed by the Mosaic Law. This is, this is the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement, the 10th of the month of Tishri um, has already passed, and uh, you know, uh, navigation during this season now was uh, usually dangerous, un- maybe unusually dangerous, on account of storms um, that are predictable, and pre- predicted that they'll happen in this season. This is the season you don't go sailing across. And Paul knows this and advised them accordingly, which Presumably, the, the mariners knew too, <laughs> but did it anyway, for reasons that are not stated. Since the, this is verse 12. Since the harbor was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favor of putting to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, which is on Crete, and there spend the winter. I think, number one, it's fascinating that the majority ruled in this matter, uh, <clears throat> and not the centurion and not the pilot, well, of course, now they get caught in a storm. Uh, since the ship was caught and could not be turned with its head to the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. By running under the lee of a small island called Kada, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. So they got out of the fiercest wind, right? They are just barely able to get this thing under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Gird. Think of a girdle, right? Ropes or chains that are slung under the belly of the ship to keep it intact. Uh, what a dreadful thought. <laughs> yeah, run those ropes under. Let's see if we can hold this girl together. <laughs> right. Undergird. Uh, what a great word. Yeah. Then fearing that they would run on the surtis, they lowered the sea anchor, and so were driven. I think King James calls this the quicksand. Well, this is a and this is a specific... Region. This is like the shoreline, or even the kind of the bay that goes from um, from Tripoli to um, oh heck ah it came to me be Benghazi from Tripoli to Benghazi. It's this big big loop uh, bay on the coast of Libya, and uh, of course it's right on the edge of the Sahara, and so you know storms just dump sand into it. So it's famous for these shifting shallow sands that. Uh, Routinely, like especially if the, tide, if the tide catches, you gotta wear uh, strands. Of these ships, you know, could be a hundred miles out. So that's the Certus, and, uh, and this is legendary in uh, in ancient literature. So they were worried that they're gonna run aground on the Certus. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard, and on the third day with their own hands they threw the ship's tackle overboard. So anything for managing the ship, you know. Uh, Pulleys and ropes and things like that That was extra They're like, okay, that's extra <laughs> Off it goes And obviously they didn't throw over the whole cargo As we'll see in the re- remainder of the story When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days And no small tempest raged All hope of our being saved Was at last abandoned um, But they don't give up hope Completely <laughs> They're just, you know, I think they're really, really Very worried 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. Yeah, this is is very nice of Paul to rub salt water in their wounds. I told you so, but he has some really, really encouraging news. 22. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. Um, And and I love this because in, in this, just in this little, that little promise, I just kind of, it feels like an echo of Jesus, right? I mean, in so many ways, Paul, the apostle of Jesus, echoes Jesus, right? He's received a lot the same way, <laughs> you know, capriciously. Uh, first with with cheers and, uh, you know, throwing down their coats and, and then it's with stones, right? <laughs> uh, this is how they receive his message. The plotting Sanhedrin is like a replay of this, right? The multiple frustrated trials, uh, you know, to try and condemn him. You know. but, but this little echo is so sweet. When, when Jesus prays uh, the night before his betrayal, uh, thank you that you've given me all these and not one of these will be lost he says of his disciples and paul gets that same promise you got to go to rome i'm giving you all the people that you have sailed with and he's able to stand up and proclaim that which is which is beautiful and you know and who can guess how we know uh i've had that experience of just kind of knowing the outcome of a thing not knowing how that would happen but uh, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a sweet, sweet thing. So keep up your courage, men, verse 25, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we will have to run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, this is the Adriatic Sea, okay, between between Italy and, uh, you know, Croatia and Albania, Um about midnight the sailors suspected that they were near inland so they took soundings they took depths right and they found 20 fathoms and, uh, f- and this is f- f- fadma which is a good Icelandic word um, an embrace or out, which came to mean outstretched arms so it's about 6 feet you know how, how long your arms are stretched out a fathom fadma and the Greek word is the same thing uh, orguya or orguja, um is a uh, is out, stretches out, stretches arms, right? So a little further, they took soundings again and found 15 fathoms. So it's getting smaller, right? It was pretty deep, plenty deep for them, but getting smaller. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Remember, they hadn't, they're drifting, they can't control the ship, they haven't seen sun, moon, or stars for days, and now the water's getting shallower, Right? Uh, and this, oh, this. I have to say this is one of my favorite lines in all of scriptures. And you're thinking, well, what? Uh, Fear that we might run on the rocks. They let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. This is, this is an anchor to windward. That's a, that's a nautical expression. It means our very last hope. We're going to run aground. We can't steer or sail. We're just going to throw out the anchor and hope it catches something and holds that's an anchor to the windward uh, not to be confused with other colorful uh, nautical expressions like three sheets to the wind uh, you know but uh, but the truth is guys i think you, you think you know what this feels like uh, this uh, anchor to the windward uh you know forget about my hopes and dreams right my expectations for what life ought to be, my ideas about what God will do and why. An anchor to the windward is how do I make it through this night? Throw out my anchor and pray for morning to come. That's why it's one of my favorite expressions. Well, well, because I've been through some of those nights, uh, including recently. <laughs> but when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea, on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and set it adrift. So, Sorry, you're not getting off this boat. We're all getting off together, and not at all. <laughs> they say to the soldiers, right? <laughs> Uh, or they say to the sailors, I mean. Yeah. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Now, I don't think he means eating nothing or they couldn't have functioned, right? But um, the rations were meager, I'm sure, because um, they're at sea a lot longer than they expected. Therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will help you survive. For none of you will lose a hair from your hands. After he had said this, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. This, this, you can't help but but see the overtones here of a sacramental meal, right? Taking bread, giving thanks, breaking it in the presence of everyone, ceremoniously, right? Is the idea. Uh, so it's kind of this little, um, this little mini pagan well, that means he's offering this sacrament to these pagans, which I think is delightful. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were at all 276 persons on the ship. So this is a big old ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. And now you see what, what the whole deal was. Uh, there was plenty of wheat, but it was their cargo, right? This was an Alexandrian ship. Uh, Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman Empire. This is, this is what the Roman Empire ran on, was wheat from Egypt through the port of Alexandria. They weren't really supposed to <laughs> eat it. <laughs> and that's why their rations were meager until they made the fateful decision, okay, we're, we're dunking the wheat, so we might as well eat what we can of it. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore, if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them at sea. At the same time they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars Then hoisting the foresail to the wind They made for the beach But striking a reef They ran the ship aground And the bow stuck and remained immovable But the stern was being broken up by the force of the wave So, so it's been driven in to the reef Wedged in there at the front um, But then the back end is being battered by the waves, So the ship's going to break up and they know it the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. Which, if they did escape, it'd been uh, both dereliction of duty for them and death. Right? Because, you know, get this soldier or get this prisoner there, and if you neglect your duty, if you abandon the tomb, for example, we've seen that before, uh, they will punish you and make a good old example of you. But the centurion, uh, again comes off shining here. Wishing to, to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those that could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Chapter 28. After we had reached safety, we learned that the island was called Malta. Now this, this is, in my opinion, this is not Malta in the Mediterranean. Um, this is um, this is an island in the Adriatic, right? Because this is where they're sailing. It was in the Adriatic. Um, there's an island there off the coast of uh, what's now Croatia. And both of these islands are called Melite, which is honey, right? In the ancient sources, they're both called, they have the identical name, right? But they're sailing in the Adriatic, right? And now, you know the story. Paul gets bitten by a viper. Uh, and there is, in fact, a venomous, very dangerous, <laughs> horned viper on Melite in the Adriatic and there's none that have ever been known in Malta, no venomous snakes. But uh, I should say legend has supplied us with a uh, with an explanation uh, because Paul either expelled the snakes the venomous snakes, the vipers just like St. Patrick did in Ireland, supposedly or he turned their venom harmless, you know, miraculously. Um, but but again, I think that this uh, makes a little more sense, or is a little, at least a little more consistent, if he's if he's on a um, um, island in the Adriatic, like it says. The natives showed us unusual kindness, since it had begun to rain and was cold. They kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another. This man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I'm sure he didn't intentionally shake it off into the fire. It just kind of flopped that way. I'm sure. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead, but after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their minds began to say that he was a god. So these are these are Greco-Roman-type pagans doing what they did in Lystra and Derby, right? Um, so, you know, uh, proclaiming him as, well, he's either, he, one second he's a murderer and the next second he's a god, which, frankly, for the Greco-Romans, I'm not sure there's a whole heck of a lot of difference. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, which, by the way, was a name that my brother and I affectionately referred to each other as in jest. I think that's rather funny. Uh, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It so happened that the father of Publius lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Dysentery, of course, is a diarrheal illness. This is most unpleasant. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions that we needed. Three months later, we set sail on a ship that had wintered at the island, and an Alexandrian ship with the twin brothers as its figurehead. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. Now, Syracuse is right close to, uh, to the Mediterranean Malta, and so you have to wonder, well, why would they go all the way around Italy if they were just across the Adriatic Sea from Italy? And it's because Rome and its port are on the other side, so they have to pass through Syracuse, according to my theory, uh, and I'm not alone. Um, then we weighed anchor and came to Regium. After one day there, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli, which is Naples, right? And so it's a little, well, it's a little further south of Rome, south of Ostium, which is Rome's local port. I'm not really sure why they uh, went there, except that it was a humongous port uh, compared to Ostium. There we found believers that invited them to stay with us for seven days, and, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. The believers from there, when they heard of us came as far as the, the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. This, these are just stops that are otherwise not really anything significant except for you know who built it and who rebuilt it along this the Appian way that, that traverses the, the lower half of the of the Italian peninsula. Right? So they're they're way stations on this important highway. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So this is house arrest, right? Uh, you know, so just don't leave town. We may want to question you again. It's kind of like that, and for two years he stays like this, right? Three days later, he called together the local leaders, the Jews. And then, of course, he gives his standard, his standard defense. Okay? In verse 21, they replied, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For, with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So I think this is just so appropriate. I mean, in fact, you can march out the the progress of the Christian Church and map it on the on the progress of the Latter Day Saints. Um, the same kinds of um, oh, evil reports and deceptions and uh, political maneuverings. And murders—they uh, just map so nicely the one on the other—and um, it's not to say that we're the only people that have ever been persecuted, but it's at least some small comfort that um, that the early Christians were everywhere spoken against. You, you guys are the worst. You guys are the worst. Oh, like who? You know? Have you ever known any Christians, Mormons? Well, yeah. I mean, this guy or our neighbor or whatever. I'm sure they're the exception, right? Is what we naturally think, right? And so it, so it was with the Christians, right? He lived here for two whole years at his own expense. At uh, his own expense. Um, so, his wealth, you know? Uh, as we've, as we've mentioned. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. See, that's the huge thing. He is There he is in Rome, an important center that's going to be, well, it's going to be hugely important in the future uh, Christian movement, but politically it's huge. It's an important place to have a foothold um, without hindrance. So, um, now, it, it, j- just know that uh, this is not this is not where Paul dies. Paul is released. Now we don't really have this in the scriptures, but Paul is released. He maybe travels to Spain. He maybe goes some other places. Um, He's arrested later. So the church historian, you know, from about 400 A.D., Eusebius, tells that Paul was killed uh, during the persecutions of Nero. Right? Nero blames the the fire in Rome on uh, on the Christians. Right? So. They're gobbled up by lions in the in the, uh, in the games, quote unquote games, <laughs> Hunger Games, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, he says that uh, Peter and Paul were martyred about at the same time. Tertullian um, specifies that Paul was beheaded like John the Baptist, and and that might that might actually be true um, because we you know he wouldn't have been crucified, right? He couldn't have been crucified; that would have been illegal. He was a Roman citizen. It was too, too horrific. They Very early on, they made a rule against crucifying a Roman. Whatever a Roman did, it wasn't worthy of that. <laughs> right? So but so we'll get to more of those things. We'll get little hints of other things that happened to Paul in, in his letters. Um, but this is the end of the book of Acts. And uh, next time we start on Romans. Um, but it's just... It, w- I don't know. Enjoy with me for a moment the the delicious nautical flavor of these last couple of chapters. That just uh, I don't know. There's something in my there's something in my bones that just resounds with that. All the little nautical uh, terminology. There's something that delights me about that. I suppose because of my my father's occupation and um, and such. Well, there's come follow me for the week. Finally, uh, tidied that together. Hopefully, that's of service to you. I love you guys. God bless you and um, and prosper your scripture study this week. I have a testimony of Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. He is my anchor of the windward. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.